14 years ago, I was living a rather uh, unexceptional life, for sure. I was working in advertising, third generation advertising guy, second generation Buddhist. Uh, I had a fairly decent job as an art director at a one of the world's most well-known advertising agencies, and uh, uh, I was sober and uh, had a good meditation practice, member of uh, uh, a sangha, and so uh, I was pretty optimistic that I had uh, uh, much of the ducks in a row, as they say, to find uh, happiness in life. And then one morning when I got out of the subway on the way to work, I had heard a commotion and I looked and uh, there were the Twin Towers uh, right in front, ablaze, smoke billowing out. And um, from that single image which is burned into my my brain uh, very quickly my life started to uh, unravel at that time it was a radical <coughs> cessation experience of sorts in uh, uh, some forms of Buddhist practice they talk about events where you see all in a shock the uh, instability, unreliability, the lack of guarantees that we all live with. And now sometimes it can be the sudden death of a, lo a loved one or a near-death experience with a, you know, an automobile accident or a serious illness. But of course, intellectually we all walk around being human beings, uh, living in the existential shadow of uh, mortality. Uh, we all, as the existentialists say, live towards death in terms of the great meaning of life is to find out how our lives make sense given this. But that's an intellectual exercise and there's an entirely different somatic, kinesthetic, gut, emotional experience that comes from actually having the rug pulled out from under us. And uh, so I basically had a uh, nervous breakdown. Um, I looked at my life and uh, suddenly um, I realized that a huge portion of it made no sense to me whatsoever. Um, the working in that awful job 21st century open area office nightmare was imparting absolutely no uh, sense of purpose or meaning in my life. In fact, I was showing up and it was just, uh, it was not a particularly hard job. Very many days I'd just show up and just sit there aimlessly in front of the computer uh, mindlessly reading alternately between Buddhist websites and Amazon. <coughs> of course, looking at the cat videos on Facebook. 
And um, there was a huge gaping empty hole in life. This isn't actually particularly surprising when you look at all of the results of baseline happiness studies, and there are just thousands of them, and they do meta-analysis of all the studies, and every study shows again and again and again that, uh, first of all, there's what we call the hedonic treadmill, which means that if you're looking for a meaningful life or a happy life by trying to earn more, beyond just the basic needs of life, what the Buddha called the requisites. Once they look at people who make above a certain level of income, it's very low, surprisingly low, uh, there's absolutely no bump in happiness. In fact, the way the hedonic treadmill works is that once we get above a certain level, each time we get or earn more money, our level of expectations, our sense of what we need to be happy, rises as well. That's the hedonic treadmill. So the feeling of arriving, being truly purposeful, finding meaning or happiness or security continually stays just out of reach because as we make more, our bills climb. Now, most of us in this room, I suspect, do not think that making more money is going to be the solution or getting a nice promotion. But it doesn't only stop there. The studies show that a lot of the strategies that even uh, us in Generation X or Generation Y adapted as attempts to find happiness, living the big life with lots of travel, lots of experience, romance, uh, those strategies don't really work very well either. Turns out that when people take six months or a year off and they go on world travels and then they come back, guess how long it takes for their happiness to snap back to where it was before they left? That's Jesse, he did that. <laughs> a couple of weeks. There's no appreciable bump. The two factors that continually result in higher scores of happiness are one, uh, surrounding oneself with trustworthy, empathetic people, what the Buddha called Kalyanamita, that's why he said they are the path. People that you can turn to when we are experiencing any difficult emotion and express them safely without having somebody simply try to fix us, solve us, shame us, reject us, simply people that we can talk with about our difficulties and they can hold our emotions and allow us to process them. That's one. And then the other main factor is having work that you can see in your own experience is for the betterment of not just you, but for other people. In other words, a purposeful livelihood, work that makes you feel that you are contributing to people, other people's happiness, including your own, but not just limited to your own. So for me, the solution was very simple. Even though I was making a good life, 
a good earning. I was completely unhappy, unfulfilled, and I was working to the degree in that job that it was very difficult to connect with the people that I loved, those five or six friends that are core uh, supports. And so I uh, did what any sensible, downwardly mobile nightmare would do. I left it. And I got training to be a Buddhist teacher, and I decided I was going to live off entirely of donations. And I'm essentially the walking nightmare of any mother-in-law that's ever lived. And yet, it's the best decision I ever made in my life, or one of the best decisions I ever made. You see, 21st century America, or at least the workplaces, um, often, by and large, are run by, they run on the fuel of fear and anxiety. That's the fuel of our economy. What we've done is we have uh, systematically eroded over the last 40-some years, systematically eroded virtually all of the social safety nets that people used to be able to count on. To count on. We've uh, eroded any hope of, uh, of uh, security in paying a lot of our health bills, educational loans, uh, and we tell people over and over again that they not only have to be worried about paying spiraling rents and uh, costs today, but we also impart this message to people the moment they're out of college. We immediately hit them with, now you not only have to start paying back your loans, if you're lucky enough to have gone to college, but now you also have to start panicking about your old age because you'll probably run out of money during it. And there's absolutely no way that any human being can confidently and peacefully plan just how to, or at least feel secure with those kinds of uh, obligations or responsibilities placed on top of them. So basically, there's a lot of anxiety that people keep people stuck in jobs that um, we work longer hours. And uh, what happens is a lot of us live in what's known as either hypoarousal or hyperarousal states of constant anxiety, states of overwhelm and shutdown. And these two states give birth to uh, compulsive consumption, the need to consume something to make all the anxiety, the stress, the overwhelm, the insecurity, the feelings of, um, of uh, falling behind make them go away. It's not surprising that if you actually do any research into the history of capitalism, uh, it started up in the 18th century, largely in uh, England and other northern European countries, 
Guess what were the first imports of capitalism? The first products that it brought in from its colonialist enterprise? Cigarettes, alcohol, sugar, caffeine. Things that numb us or uh, excite us for when we are agitated or overwhelmed. So in essence, capitalism has always been about producing fear and stress and then always been about giving us the means to numb ourselves so that we need to work more to get more stressed, to, numb, to buy the goods, to numb ourselves, to get deeper in debt so that we have to work harder. It's not surprising, actually, that when you look at the World Happiness Reports, uh, we don't score anywhere near the top 10. We don't even score in the top 20. We score somewhere in the pack of Central American countries. The top, by the way, the happiest places to live are, in order, Denmark, Norway, Finland, Sweden, Holland. You know what all those countries have in common? Free health care. <laughs> Free health care, social safety nets, strong regulation of big industry, environmental legislation, things that we don't have. Anyway, onwards. <laughs> so, uh, Buddhism has always critiqued craving as a way of life. The Buddha's key insight to Tana is that it gives birth to only one thing, and that's more craving. It's the nature of seeking short-term sensual pleasures as a way to numb ourselves to the increasing stress that happens from our day-to-day -day, uh, stressed-out work cycles. In his Sigalavada Sutta, the Buddha constantly, and he gave suttas, a different set of suttas, to the renunciates than he gave to the lay practitioners. And interestingly enough, in the West, we tend to present the ones he gave to the monks because they're the ones that don't tend to talk about question everything in your life. The suttas he taught in the Lay Practitioner's Code of Ethics said evaluate where you're working, evaluate the people you're surrounding yourself with, evaluate how you're spending your money, evaluate what you're doing with your life, because it's not just an, a one-fold path. The Buddha didn't have a one-fold path where he said, just meditate. <laughs> just do my one for 1995 you can do my one full path it's super simple in two, in two quick exercises I will teach you how to meditate and be mindful and all of the problems in your life will go away no there's actually eight fucking paths <laughs> and guess what those other ones are about well, one of them is called right livelihood. Don't work at livelihoods that leave you worn down and stressed out to the point you won't be able to have a spiritual practice. What is being demanded of me here? How much stress am I being put under? How much uh, am I being 
yanked about, stressed out, asked to uh, hold up workloads that I can't sustain, that's an entirely different picture. Fortunately, uh, it doesn't have to be that way. We don't have to limit our spiritual practice. We can actually have a balanced path where, yes, we can examine what unnecessary views we're clinging to, what unnecessary uh, routines, what unnecessary stories of self, and what central pleasures we're linking on to, but that's not the entirety of it. It's also asking us to investigate, okay, what are the conditions of our lives, and what can we do about it? So when we realize that where there's a gaping lack of meaning in our lives, maybe there's a message there that we should investigate. Very often we carry around stories that make switching very, very difficult. We carry around beliefs that it's too late, which is a crying shame for somebody in his 50s. I work with people who are in their 30s and 40s, and I hear people who are 30 years old, 20 years younger than me, go, it's too late. We tell stories about how we're, you know, we're not equipped, we're not qualified. Every single job I've gotten into in my life, I've bullshat my way into. Largely even this one. <laughs> Ten years later, you get to know what you're doing, but back then, I was, no, it was like, you're going to be teaching it. I was like, what the fuck? I had a few weeks, I had a, literally maybe a month of like teacher training with him. He's like, we're just going to hurry up the pace, get you in front of people, because I'm getting the fuck out of here. <laughs> okay. Don't believe that any work, any line, is, uh, is um, beyond you, but at the same time, I tend to be suspicious of the... Uh, a lot of times we carry from our teenage years the sort of fantasies of um, I want to be a screenwriter rock star or something that I'll get instant fame. And very often these are um, compensatory fantasies based on years of our life where we felt deeply unheard or unloved and we have fantasies of stardom or, or you know, acclaim. And really... The studies point us towards work where we can really connect deeply in a meaningful way with other people. Which is not to say that if you are somebody who writes screenplays or records music or sings or paints, fucking do it. Keep doing it. In fact, bring your, lo your love to that and, and do it. But there's also a point towards investigating what we can do that can actually bring deep meaning and authenticity to our lives by finding roles that participate. And look, I, I can't speak for everyone. My conditions are different than the next person. Some people have um, obligations far, far greater than mine, and so it's far more difficult to just switch and be willing to, uh, you know, be broke for a while. Some of us have children or uh, other responsibilities, caring for sick ones. But if you, I, 
I only can urge you from my heart that if you do find yourself stuck in a cycle where you're not feeling fulfilled, that there actually are ways to find purpose. In your life, we might not realize it, but the very activities you've been doing on a day-to-day basis have been preparing you. The things you like to talk about, the things you like to read, the stuff you've been doing at work, all these are forming skills that very often, you'll be surprised, can help you make transitions. Transitions also are very slow. From the moment I had that nervous breakdown and realized I couldn't work anymore in advertising, to the moment I fully got out was seven fucking years. It was slow, it was gradual, uh, it was very worth it. I just gradually pulled away and I moved in to something else. I didn't have, I didn't allow myself to have the black and white fantasies of, oh, someday I'll just make enough that I can quit or stop working. I frankly have no plans to ever stop working. As long as there'll be people watching me wheel myself in <laughs> a cane and a, and a, and a megaphone. <laughs> I, think the, I think the key is to not buy into the fantasy of retirement. The key is to find something that you deeply love, that brings joy and meaning and purpose to your life, and just keep doing that until they shoot you and drag you into a hole. (laughs) For those of you who don't want to uh, risk your entire financial health and decide like me, fuck it, I'm not going to worry about the future. I'm just going to try to find and live with purpose today. Um, Some tips about finding happiness in the 21st century. The first is that in a lot of these jobs, they basically urge you to uh, focus on far more than really what's your responsibility. And people are encouraged to get caught up by the dramas, the narratives, the projects. Every single project I worked in in over 12 years of advertising was presented as this is the big deal. We're either going to lose this client or this is the job that's going to make the client really love us and make us rich. Every single fucking one of them was presented as this huge drama. Don't buy into it. Focus on doing only your responsibility, worrying about what other people think, what they're doing, getting caught up in narratives, stories, uh, keeping track of how much we're doing versus other people, all that stuff makes the workplace even more harder, even more draining, even more of a grind. It's really important to notice which people have we're the most emotionally contagious to. Emotional contagion means that Uh, we humans tend to pick up on the movements, the emotions, the body states of the people we're around. It's an unconscious trait. 
we all do it because we're pack animals and it's the way that we connect with other people. We, if we're around somebody who's nervous and tapping their feet and chewing their gum quickly, we'll start tapping our feet and if we're chewing gum, we'll start doing that too. And when the body becomes nervous, then the mind follows suit. So it's very, very easy to be emotionally infected by the people around us. If you notice you're with people who tend to be very dramatic or stressed out and you can't get away from them, develop what I call a healthy emotional immunity, which is really keep your out-breaths relaxed. That triggers a vagal vagus nerve. It stops the brain from imitating the people we're around. It relaxes us. Keep the body really big, the shoulders back, relax the belly. Really focus on making sure that our body doesn't fall mimically into the body of the people that are around us and who are stressed out. It's really, really, really worthwhile to have two routines in the day. One, never, ever work through the entire day. No matter what the story you're being told, no matter how much your brain wants to keep you working through the entire day, get away from the computer, sit outside, break from the narrative. And then at the end of the day, before you rush home to your apartments, which are, by the way, extensions of your own brain, you haven't realized it yet, but when you're in your apartment, you are taking absolutely no new information in from the world. Apartments are the places we go when we want to become, we basically want to go into what's known as default mode network, where we're no longer aware of the world around us, nor are we aware of the body. We're simply lost in our thoughts when we're at home. So having a transition, a routine, if it's walking home, if it's standing by a body of water, if it's sitting outside in a park, if it's going someplace different each night before we go home, and just sitting and taking in the sensations, anything that gets you out of the narrative that you've brought about in throughout the day is really, really essential. The mindset of 21st century capitalist enterprise goes something like this. People refer to their work as putting out fires. It's a mind where they're constantly darting about, worrying about this, that email, that message, that to-do list, that project, that thing. So basically, it's an extremely jumpy (coughs) mind that can't settle. And while that makes sense, while we're being run through the mill at work, it's not a mind that you want to live in. It's a mind that we want to transition out of. And it's very important to develop rituals because that mind will not stop simply because we give it instructions. Hey, okay, we're done here. You can relax now. Yeah. (laughs) Just relax. Yeah. It's not what happens. Until we purposely settle the mind, it will keep jumping. It will keep moving. It will keep looking for problems. It will keep winding up, caught up, and so when we come home, somebody might say, hey, there's a bill, bill, 
What pill? Needing to take care of, get rid of, track, fix, solve, demand, mindset. Finally, uh, it's really important that when we are at home and we have free time to not consume our free time, to make our own entertainment, to insist on being creative, to not get into, buy into the numbing uh, entertainment where images and uh, extremely capitalist-friendly narratives are shoved at us through TV and YouTube all the time. Some of them are fun. I love True Detective and Breaking Bad was kind of wonderful. And so watching a couple of them, fine. But, but I try to spend at least as much time every day being creative as I do consuming the, the, the entertainment that has been prepackaged for me meant to basically uh, leave me shut down and uninvolved and just lapping it up because the feelings that come from creating something last. The feeling that comes from watching even something great, like The Wire, it really... <laughs> it feels good for a little while, but then we're back in the feeling of low self-esteem and, and lack of purpose. We've got to fight to bring some meaning and purpose into this life. We've got to connect with people. We've got to make sure that we maintain a work-life ratio that doesn't kill us. We've got to be throughout the day not making sure that we don't get sucked up into the fears and narratives. Suddenly I was working today and I looked over at Facebook and I was like, ah! Every single... Everybody wants us to be panicked, fear-driven, stressed out. That's the way this works. They don't, on the news, ever tell you about all the things that are not happening. <laughs> Today, there was no, you know, mass catastrophe. <laughs> the goal is to lure us in, stress us out, have us consume, have us work more, and get stuck again and again into that cycle of despair. So, make what you will of this. I put these thoughts out for you. I hope there was something of wisdom. I thank you for coming. And next week I will <laughs> we'll, uh, talk about something different.